Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and the perfect season has come to a crashing halt, but uh, just in time for Pittsburgh. Um, And I think Broncos fans might be underrating just how important this game really is. Um, I was just mentioning this to our guest. Uh, that right after the Steelers game, the Broncos have a division game against the Raiders, followed by a four-day period, and then all of a sudden they have the Browns. So it's like, this might be the one game that really looks really manageable until Raiders-Browns, like bam, bam. Um, So obviously I couldn't go without actually getting insight into the Steelers, Um, and there was nobody else I wanted to talk to about it than Nick Farabao. Um, Nick, if you guys do not know, he writes for the Pittsburgh Sports Now. He also covers the the draft. He also does the Locked On Pit um, for the ACC, and he works for the ACC Network. He's also a production assistant at WPTS Sports. Um, and if you guys do not already follow him on Twitter, go do it. Um, he's one of the most knowledgeable analysts that I follow. That's why I had him on. Um, and he covers both college and the pros. But um, he is at Nick underscore F-A-R-A-B-A-U-G-H. So thank you so much for joining me, man. Yeah, no problem, Joe. I mean, as per usual, I'm really excited to talk X's and O's and obviously big game for both teams uh, coming up here. Kind of the season for the Steelers and for the Broncos, it feels like at least a big game and perhaps part of the season because, again, four and one, potentially all the way to four and three after the next two weeks feels a lot different than being three and four, right? Especially in the AFC West, when you kind of look around, you see the the Chiefs have kind of woken up. The Chargers look like the class of the AFC West as of now, and the Raiders, they're still there. Um, They're making, you know, the Raiders' decisions, but they have enough wins in the bank at this point that Broncos can't afford to drop three in a row or four in a row. Like, obviously, they can't afford to drop any games. So, like, this is a big game. And and I know, like, you and I were just mentioning this before we hopped on, but 
injuries kind of define this game in a lot of ways. Um, it's kind of hard to ignore it. Um, obviously, bro, you know, listeners, you guys already know Teddy Bridgewater is in concussion protocol. Um, he has returned to practice in like a casual manner is how I would probably describe it. Um, he is he was at practice. He has lifted weights today. Um, again, the guys, this is Wednesday. He was permitted to watch film. Um, but I gotta, I gotta be clear. Like, I know that that's very encouraging, but the way concussions work, that doesn't necessarily mean he is going to be cleared yet. The way the concussion protocol for the NFL works. I mean, he basically has to clear protocol to play and there's five phases. So we got a ways to go yet. We're kind of waiting to see. Um, but other than that, and again, like, I'm not going to give you guys the laundry list of all the guys on IR, but the, obviously the Broncos have a bunch of those guys. But on top of that, Patrick Sertan did not practice today. Um, Fangio has said he is day-to-day with a midsection injury. Uh, Deontay Spencer's hurt, which really hurts the receiver depth just because it's down to Tim Patrick, Colton Sutton, and Kendall Hinton at this point. Um, Melvin Gordon didn't practice today. Fangio did say he's optimistic about him. Um, and kind of the, the other two big injury news things that are kind of worth like worth a note, if you guys didn't already know, Ronald Darby was activated off of IR today. He has 21 days to kind of return to the active roster, or he could be placed back on IR. I don't expect that. Um, he might play against the Steelers. He might not. We don't know yet. Um, the reports are Mike Boone could also be activated, but he has not been yet. Um, I'm kind of wondering if that has more to do with Melvin Gordon than anything as of this point, because if you activate Mike Boone, you're probably having to dump Demaria Crockett down to the practice squad again to make room for him. And I don't know necessarily what they're going to do with that yet, but the Steelers also have a lot of injuries, right? Yeah. Um, the list is long. Uh, I'll say that the most vital of which along the defensive line, uh, in my opinion, uh, Stefan to still recovering from meniscus surgery. He's yet to resume practice. It, we don't really know what's going on with Stefan to he was spotted with crutches. He has meniscus surgery, but also his brother died in a hit and run. And oh. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of yeah that he's dealing with a broken heart as well, um, as well as the meniscus injury. So it, it seems like this one is a complicated one, and they're just going to let him come back whenever he wants to come back and whenever that is. I think right now it's a legitimate knee injury, um, and that's why he's not practicing. But I also think this is a mental thing um, for him. Um, Tyson Alulu fractured his ankle. He's probably gone for the year. Um, that's two of the three starting three down linemen, if you will, in, in the Steelers' base. Mm-hmm. Um, really, we'll talk about those injuries and how it's hindered the Steelers' ability. But also, listen, Alulu is their starting nose tackle. Their backup nose tackle is Carlos Davis. He's dealing with a knee injury, and he hasn't practiced in three-plus weeks. He got hurt week one against the Bills. He hasn't played since. He hasn't been put on IR, so that lets you know he might have a chance to play. But still... He has not practiced yet. He did not practice again today. Um, so that's not a good sign for him. So the Steelers really thin on the defensive line. The defense is banged up. I, Watt is still not 100%. Um, the groin, I still don't think is 100%. He rolled his ankle uh, again against the Packers. Um, they have a few injuries here on the defense. Cam Sutton now added to that as well. They're cornerback two. They're kind of do-it-all corner who plays slot. He plays outside. He'll play some safety. He'll play the dimebacker role as well. So without him, they're losing a very vital piece of their chess game, essentially, on the back end of the defense. The defense is banged up for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cam Hayward showed up today with a neck injury. I'm not too worried about that uh, overall. He might have had a little stinger. I think he'll be okay um, to go. 
Now, the offense, if we're talking about the offense, has to start with Ben Roethlisberger. He's banged up. Strained left pec. Said a, he said a black and blue hip. Oh, some probably a hip pointer is, is what it sounds like. Um, is what he has. He says he's going to try to go, but Tomlin said they'll determine that by his participation. I don't think it's any guarantee that he suits up this Sunday. I would say it's about a 60-40 he does suit up. I, I would ex- say expect him to, but if it does, if he doesn't practice tomorrow at all, even in a limited fashion, he's probably not playing. That would be my guess. Um, Chase Claypool's dealing with a hamstring injury he missed last week. He's a big one, obviously. They want him back bad, but hamstring injuries are tough to deal with. You don't want to re-injure them. But he's limited today. That's a good sign for the Steelers. Hopefully he can get up to full participation by Friday. Kevin Dotson with a hip flexor injury. Again, that's a soft tissue injury. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the better injuries you could get with a hip injury, but it's a it's a delicate injury as well. Trey Turner's now on there with an illness. So the O-line's a little banged up. Chukwuma Okorafor, uh, come back from concussion protocol. He missed week four against the Packers. He should play, I think, this week. Zach Banner, though, uh, is is kind of the big news this week. Uh, coming back from ACL surgery, he's finally getting back there. He's practiced the last two weeks, so oh, nice. he, he's been in the in the window here for a little bit now. It sounds like he has a press conference tomorrow, and if you know the Steelers, they only do press conferences with Good healthy news. players. Yeah. So, so he's. it sounds like Zach Banner might play this Sunday. And if that's the case, we don't know what the O-line is going to look like at tackle. We don't. It's If it's going to be Okorafor on the left side and Banner on the right, or if Dan Moore Jr. is going to continue to play, it's kind of up there to be seen. Who knows? But it looks like Zach Banner is coming back. Juju Smith-Schuster has ribs. He he played last week. I would expect him to play. Um, Rashad Coward doesn't really play. He has an ankle injury. He missed last week with that ankle injury. But he's usually a game day inactive, anyways. Um, and then when you look overall, it's just a it's a battered and bruised, it's a battered and bruised team. And Anthony McFarland also uh, opened his 20, 21 day window. He's been dealing with a hamstring injury, um, so he will potentially play. I don't know if he will play this week, um, but if they get him back at the speed element, they really haven't had in the backfield, so that could be something for them to contend with as well. Yeah, I. It's one of those things where I I. I get myopic during the season. Like there's no way, there's no way around that. Um, so you kind of get stuck on this whole idea of like, Oh, everyone's hurt. Woe is me. That kind of thing with, you know, with your team, but damn, you guys have it really bad too. That's I like, I guess I underestimate just how banged up the defense was. Um, like, and again, we had just talked about this, but I was watching the Bengals game and it was one of those things where I was like, I know the Bengals offensive line isn't this good. Like to, to get the movement that they were getting, I, I was really kind of curious about it. And Hayward jumps out at you on tape. Like, it's one of those things, like, you can't not see him. But I didn't notice to it, and I didn't even think about the fact that he was probably hurt until you brought it up with uh, with me right before we copped on. And it for, for Broncos fans, again, guys, we don't actually know what's going to happen with the guard situation right now. Uh, last week, the Broncos started Natani Mute. It was his third start. And Quinn Miners actually made his first start. And he actually looked better than I thought he would. Um, which isn't to say they were good, but they looked... He looked better than I thought he would. But I was very, very nervous about him against the Steelers, just like I was against the Ravens. So, like, not having two in this game is going to be big for the Broncos. Yeah, and listen, the Steelers down on the off defensive line, if you know what they like to do, they like to play multiple fronts. But when they're in their base, it's very basic. They play five te- two five-techs and a zero-tech. And that's just 
classic three, four defense, but they have, you know, they have a tight front. They have a bare front. They'll play two eyes. They'll play two, two eyes, two, four eyes. They'll move guys in. They'll play some four, three looks at times as well. And they'll move them into three tech. They can't do that a lot anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's weird because they've had to stick in base a lot because there's just so many injuries. The only, you know, we, they've had our old friend, Derek Tuska for you guys. I I know that. Derek Tuska is now on the active roster for the Steelers. He had to play significant snaps against the Bengals because they didn't have TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith that game either. So they're healthier than they were two weeks ago. You know, Devin Bush and, and Joe Hayden have both missed time as well. So it, they, they missed everybody, essentially, outside of Minka Fitzpatrick on his defense at some point and Joe Schobert. Um, everyone has been hurt at some point. Um, so this is a team that, on the defensive line, they can't do a lot. Again, mm-hmm. really – the guys are playing out of position right now. Cam Hayward's playing a significant amount of snaps at nose tackle. Isaiah Bugs is playing is the starting nose tackle. You know, Chris Warmly is the starting five tech. Uh, and he's actually done pretty well in that role, which is absurd. I did not expect Chris Warmly to show out as much as he has. But, I mean, they're playing Isaiah Loudermilk, Henry Mondo. They're playing guys that haven't played a lot. And... Mm-hmm. They're not going to play Cam 100% of the snaps. They they know what they have to do. They like to keep Cam Hayward fresh, so he's going to come off at some point. I think that's a big worry for the Steelers is when he's off, are the Broncos going to be able to run with Ingram and Javante Williams? And this is another – and again, like on Twitter, again, those of you listening, I assume a lot of you kind of put up with me on Twitter as well. I was really complaining about Pat Shermer not running the ball enough against the Ravens, especially once Drew Locke came in. Um, just because Drew Locke against the Wink Martindale pressure scheme to me just sounds like you're just dialing up and hoping for it to not be a disaster. And one of the ways you can kind of try and alleviate that is to try and run the ball more. Um, And obviously it didn't happen. So I was pretty critical of Shermer with that. This is another one of those weeks where it makes a lot of sense, especially whether it's Bridgewater or not. You have a quarterback coming off of concussion protocol if he plays or you have Drew Locke facing off against with potentially two very young guards, it would make a lot of sense to try and take the ball out of his hands. And considering the injuries that the Ravens had, or not the Ravens, sorry, considering the injuries the Steelers have up front, it makes a lot of sense to try and feed Javante Williams as much as you can and kind of let him carry the game a little bit. Um, Go heavy, make them stay in base and just try and abuse it. Well, that's what the, the Packers did for the most part. They played out of 11 personnel, sometimes brought in 12 personnel. Let Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon pound the nail, and they did pretty well. And then Aaron Rodgers just – I mean, obviously, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke aren't Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers did his thing when he needed to do it, and they ran the ball well. Joe Burrow pretty much was a game manager against the Steelers. He didn't do a ton. He made a nice throw to Jamar Chase, but Joe Mixon ran really well on that game because – Steelers couldn't stop him. I mean, they could not stop him because they were getting pushed off the ball. Frankly, Isaiah Bucks has been bad, really bad at nose tackle. He's got to get back to five tech. I don't know what they need to do at nose. They got to pray Carlos Davis plays. You aren't kicking. So here's the thing. Isaiah Loudermilk is a fifth-round draft pick who's raw and shouldn't be playing, period, right now. He has to play because there's no one else there. He's had his flashes, but he's undersized. He needed a year. He needed a redshirt year, you know, in a weight training program. He's like 270 right now. He's not playing nose. Chris Warmley's too light to play nose. Mondo's too light to play nose. Leaves one man to play nose outside of Bugs. It's Cam Hayward. And 
you really don't want Cam. Now, I'm wondering if they do that more, if they play Cam Hayward there, could he become a Vita Vea type force to help out the rest of the guys? They've experimented with it a little bit, and it his most productive snaps this year have actually been at the no-step spot. And it would make sense in terms of like from a matchup standpoint as a way to try and have him isolated against either Lloyd Cushenberry, who again, to his credit, played better against the Ravens than I dared hope for. But up until the injuries to Glasgow and Reisner, there's no doubt that Lloyd Cushenberry was the weak link of the offensive line. Um, And coming off of last year, last year he was probably the worst center in football. So like he is a weak link that you worry about. Um, So it would make sense to try and get Hayward against him. That's I hope they don't, uh, obviously. But again, like I said, this is one of those things why I would go heavy or I hope that Shermer goes heavy just because if you go into nickel or if you go into 11 personnel, what you're doing is essentially giving the Steelers the excuse to go into nickel where all of a sudden you're in a 2-4-5 and you don't have to worry about that issue with not having a nose tackle ready. Um, yep. and, and the Broncos have a power game. They run a lot of gap scheme. Like this is, this is why you have that. So you can double down on a nose who's not ready for it and get out in space and make Devin Bush and Joe Schobert chase it down. Um, and looking at the numbers and again, like, I don't want to get too caught up in the numbers, but the, the Steelers are still quite good at stopping runs off the left side, but basically in the middle and then going to the right, they've had a lot of issues this year and the Broncos like, for the issues that they have had on the offensive line this year, Bobby Massey has looked decent as a run blocker. Eric Sauber and Albert O are both pretty decent blockers for tight ends. No offense, probably more of a glorified receiver, but he tries here and there. Um, so it's one of those things like try and outnumber them at the point of attack and get somebody in space where all of a sudden Javante Williams can show off that elite contact balance. I would recommend outside zone. And, and here's the reason why. Because you still can get that combo from the backside guard with the center. You can help Cushionberry out if whether that's Moody or Miners, whoever. Where you're this is the thing. The Steelers have had the ability to stop the gap schemes. They have. Schobert's really good at coming downhill, keying in on pulling guards, whether you're running counter, power, trap, whatever. He's really good at blowing that up. And then at Freeze Bush, Terrell Edmonds can come in. You know, they, they the Steelers have willing tacklers on the outside too. Joe Hayden will come in and get involved. James Pierre as well on the boundary. They have willing tackles. Gap schemes have not been all that, you know, super effective against them. In the past two games, Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have killed them on cutback lanes on wide zone. Gotcha. That's what's killed them. And that's why you see so much to the right and middle. It's the cutback lane on outside zone because Bugs is getting washed to the right side. That's essentially the reason why they've struggled. It's been on wide zone. They can stop just about most other things pretty well. Once wide zone comes out, though, they can't they can't do it. Uh, Bugs just gets washed out of his gap at least half the time. And I would say that if any if like if if you're listening, Fangio, and I doubt it, but it just you know if you're listening, Vic, this is probably one of the reasons why if Mike Boone is healthy enough to play, it would make a lot of sense to activate him. Just because uh, I would say outside zone is probably Pookie's worst uh, concept that I've seen him running. Just in terms of like the decision-making that you have to make an outside zone and when to cut, when to not. He's still having some issues with that. There was concerns about it coming out. It's kind of hung on. Um, but the other reason why I do think that you need to go ground and pound, and again, I am one of those people that usually, I'm all out, all about passing normally because the efficiency is there. Like, and again, when you have a quarterback and Bridgewater's been able to do it, 
it makes sense to do it. But the thing is, where the Broncos are at in terms of their their roster at this point, they have two healthy receivers that you actually want on the field. Um, and if Shermer is not going to go twelve to throw, and like so far, like he doesn't like the Ravens game, he had the opportunity to, he didn't do it. But if they're not going to go to twelve and throw it to him, it makes sense to try and run the ball. However, you're going to because the Steelers are going to be able to see on the Ravens game plan, the fact that the Ravens just kind of isolated and manned up and took away Tim Patrick and easy passes to Cortland Sutton. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The Steelers don't have the Ravens secondary. Even yeah, with that's true. And the thing is with Sutton, you know, with can Sutton hurt, they are even going to be more hampered on the back end. So it's going to be very vanilla stuff. And we'll get to talk about this. The coverages. Yeah. The Steelers cool. don't, the Steelers aren't a single high team as much anymore this year. So, you know, it, obviously you can play different types of man. You can play quarters, press man. You can play match man, zone. You know, you can play these match schemes, and the Steelers do play those. You can play cover two man. But the Steelers have done a lot more of keeping things in front of them, cover two stuff. Gotcha. That's what they've done. Cover two, cover three, which is completely different with what we've seen from them the past few years. Yeah. They don't blitz as much. Because they, they don't have a slot corner they can trust. Um, it's Trey Norwood or Arthur Millette. Neither of those two inspire a ton of confidence. So if you're starting slot, who is Sutton, is out, you're probably going to live in base. And you're probably going to let James Pierre, Joe Hayden do their thing. And I think I think the Steelers are going to sit in too high most of the game. It just makes sense to me. You know, maybe some Tampa 2 concepts, letting Bush be that middle of the field guy because they know what he can do. But I think when they have so much injuries and when they know, hey, especially if Drew Locke plays, I think, they know he has – he might not be good, but he can whip that thing. He can throw that thing. Uh, he can throw it deep. And the Steelers have been burnt deep by Henry Ruggs. And also, they've been burnt deep by Jamar Chase. And they kept the lid on it last week against the Packers. How much did it matter? Not a ton. The offense didn't do anything. <laughs> but – the defense allowed 27 to Aaron Rodgers. That's pretty good. About as good as you can expect with how many injuries they had. Yeah. Um. So this defense is going to sit in too high, I think. And I think they're going to dare whoever it is, Bridgewater or Locke, if they want to go to a pass-heavy set, dare him to hit those hole shots. We'll see if he can do it. Uh, is there anything – and you mentioned that Keith Butler hasn't really blitzed as much this year, which – and again, like – it's, I, I noticed this as well, but it's interesting to me just because like he he doesn't get a lot of recognition for it because the Steelers have been good forever. But the thing is, like when he gets into like pressure schemes, he does a good job of isolating bad matchups like on the offensive line. And that was one of those things that showed up last year when they 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 abused him out of Cushenberry. Um do you think that's just personnel limitations? Yeah. Well they don't listen. When they were in nickel with Mike Hilton, they were essentially in a 4-3. Yes, yeah. it was nickel, but he was a Sam linebacker. I mean, yeah. he functioned as a Sam. They don't have that third guy anymore. Makes sense. They don't have Mar- – they, so they, they try to make Arthur Millette that guy. To his credit, he did decent last week in that role. Arthur Millette's not Mike Hilton. He's just not. He's not as good at cover, covering as Mike Hilton. He's not as good of a blitzer as Mike Hilton. He's not as fearless as Mike Hilton. So you lose Mike Hilton. You lose Steven Nelson, who, so you lose some flexibility in man coverage. Joe Hayden's a year older. 
Mm-hmm. Now you also have James Pierre, who's a UDFA that played 26 snaps in 2020. So you don't want to give that guy too much on his plate. So you simplify things. And so where do you lean on your front, you lean on your front seven. Then you have a veteran Schobert, you have a top 10, former top 10 pick in Bush. Mm-hmm. And obviously that defensive line coming into the year was the strength. And that's what they did against Buffalo. They, they mixed up some things in the back end. Yes, of course they did. Because Sutton was great, but if Sutton's not there, a lot of those things go out the window. So you instead use your trickery up front with your front four. They've had to simplify that now even. They're playing a vanilla, vanilla defense. Because they don't the, the personnel right now just doesn't know things like that. I mean, they don't know how to do exquisite stunts that, you know, all the starters have. Mm-hmm. But I expect them to start to kind of get it as these guys get more and more experience. The thing that they do up front is the Steelers have done a great job this year of using four-man pressures exotically. And what they'll do is sometimes they'll keep all three of their outside linebackers on the field, Watt, Highsmith, and Ingram, and they'll line one of them up over the interior as a spinner. And that guy can do anything. He can come straight at you. So Cushenberry, Miners, Moody, they're going to attack that. They're going to bring Cam Hayward and maybe slant Melvin Ingram outside, slant Mm -hmm. T.J. Watt outside. They're never going to give you the same look from the interior. They've shown a willingness to bring Minka Fitzpatrick on blitzes this year. I mean, they've brought him. They brought Terrell Edmonds. They brought straight out outside corner blitzes. They've done a lot of things, and they've leaned on Minka Fitzpatrick a lot to try and cover up the inexperience. He's played a lot in the slot. He's played some outside corner. He's played free safety. He's come down into the box. He's still mainly a single high guy, but they're trying to move him around a little bit. So def- so offenses don't exactly know what they're doing. Last week against Aaron Rodgers, they got a little timid and kind of just ran what they ran. And then Aaron Rodgers, of course, picked them apart because nothing was being disguised at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned Melvin Ingram. And that's one other player. Well, there's two. Obviously, I want to touch on Watt because Watt is kind of his own. Like, Watt is as scary, honestly, scarier than Vaughn is at this point. He's probably about as scary as Vaughn was at his peak. And the first question I have with that is, do you expect him to mostly rush one side or are they going to move him around to try and make up the, because the thing is, and Broncos fans aren't going to like to hear this, but Garrett Bowles is not having the same year as he did last year. Uh, His hands his and again, like some of this was hidden last year because there wasn't as much of an emphasis on holding calls, but he was still having some issues with his hands last year. He was just getting away with a lot more. Um, the Ravens exposed that a little bit. He had issues with the giants doing something similar. He had a couple snaps against the Jaguars. So like, I don't necessarily feel good about him against Watt, but I definitely don't feel good about Massey against Watt either. Listen, TJ Watt likes to sit on that, that left side of the defense. So against your right tackle, yeah, that's usually where he is. He'll flip though. Every now and then he's flipping more than he has in previous years. So it's not like they did with Bud Dupree and him where they're like one side and one side. They're flipping them and they're playing that spinner role. They're playing that off ball role as well. They're moving them around and they'll move Highsmith and they'll move Ingram. They'll move them all. Why? Because they have to, I mean, Mm -hmm. literally their pass rush is there is the golden standard of this team right now. If that pass rush doesn't get home, what chance did they have? The secondary isn't good enough right now. It's just not. They're two, they're one, two battered and bruised right now, and they're too inexperienced. So mm-hmm. it's a work in progress. So how do you cover that up? Pass exotic rush. blitzing. Yeah, exotic blitzing up front. 
and you isolate the matchups. So, for example, against the Bengals, they identified Jackson Carmen. Carmen was up to the task, but they identified him. Against the Raiders, they decided they really, really badly wanted to attack the interior, specifically the two guards. They did so. Against, against uh, they wanted to attack Deion Dawkins bad against Buffalo, and boy, did they ever attack Deion Dawkins. Last week, they knew Elton Jenkins was out. They were going to attack Nijman. And sometimes, you know, guys will hit, hold up against them. Yeah. Sometimes they won't. But they're going to they're gonna have a weakness, and they're going to attack it. And I can't tell you if they're going to look at Cushenberry, Moody, or Miners, or all three yeah. as the weaknesses. But they're going to bring pressure, and they're going to bring different looks, and they're going to isolate you and dare you beat us, and then we'll make adjustments. And that's one of those things, too, where Broncos fans might not... A lot of Broncos fans are familiar with Melvin Ingram from his work with the Chargers. And so because of that, they'll look at last year's numbers and say, like, oh, he's not that good. But one of the things that makes Melvin Ingram so dangerous, and the Chargers weren't doing this as much last year, but the Steelers are starting to more from what I've seen, they'll stand him up and they'll rush him inside. And they'll actually use him as, like, a joker. Um, and again, like, even if Dalton Reisner plays... Melvin Ingram in that role against Dalton Reisner, that's a mismatch. Dalton Reisner has had issues with quickness. Um, the Packers exposed that before at Oliver, and I know Ed Oliver's a defensive lineman, but he has that quickness that like he can go one way, DQ out, and go back, and he'll get Reisner to overset, and he's not quick enough to recover. Melvin Ingram can do that, and he also has the power to just bull rush you like that. Um, so that is definitely another one of those things where, again, I think the Steelers' pass rush is probably the scariest part of this matchup for the offense. And that's another reason why, and again, if you guys have followed me on Twitter, that's one of the reasons why I think Teddy Bridgewater's health is probably the X factor X factor for this game, because he has done a really good job this season of kind of mitigating the issues up front. Um, he does a good job of keeping his eyes up, looking downfield and continuing to look for alleys and lanes to throw to or throw through while kind of dodging around in the pocket to create time for himself. Drew Locke has a low sack rate, and a lot of people confuse that with he's good against the blitz or good against pressure. The thing is, he bails out of the pocket to not get sacked, but a lot of times that just leads to inaccurate passes or mistakes, and that showed up again against the Ravens. And that's why even if you look at, and I'm not trying to lecture you, Nick, I know you know, probably know this, but that's why if you look at the final stat lines, yes, neither quarterback played well, but when you actually look at the game, Bridgewater didn't play great, he had a couple drops like that didn't work out for him. He also had some misses. He had some mistakes. You look at Locke. Locke panicked a lot, and Locke missed on open receivers quite a bit more than more than you hope for. Um, and my concern is that same thing would happen against the Steelers. Yeah, I, I, listen, I think that the Steelers would prefer to face Drew Locke. That's all I'll say. Um, I think they know what Teddy is and. Pretty cerebral quarterback. Yeah, he might not be the Mahomes of the world or the Justin Herberts of the world or the Aaron Rodgers of the world. He's a solid quarterback. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He's going to give you trouble because he doesn't make mistakes. And especially for the Steelers, that's an issue because when your offense sucks like this offense sucks, you need that defense to make big splash plays. And that's why... For example, last week, the, the awful offsides call that, that took back that kick return touchdown was just a gut punch. I mean, just yeah. a gut punch. Um, so you look at that, 
and Drew Locke creating pressure when you already have a great front like this, that's exactly what you want. You want the QB to roll into pressure and create own pressure, like create their own sacks, because that means less work for your guys. That means, and the less work you have to do on one play, the better rested they are. And on, in addition to that, the more QB hits you get, the more you rattle Drew Locke, the likelier he makes a bad decision and you get a splash playoff. Yep. So you touched on the offense and I kind of want to, let's pivot a little bit over to that just because I think that's the other side of this matchup that I would say that is decidedly in the Broncos favor. As long as one of the cornerbacks are healthy, um, Patrick Sertan obviously is questionable at this point. Uh, Ronald Darby was just activated, but we don't know if he'll play. Um, if neither plays the Broncos secondary is going to be kind of scary just because I would think that they're going to then put Bryce Callahan out wide, except when they're in nickel and then it'll be Nate Hairston. Um, and again, like I liked Nate Harrison in the preseason. I'm not surprised he's on the Broncos roster, but there's a difference between looking decent in the preseason and actually holding up in the, in the league against presumably a healthy chase Claypool. If that happens or Deontay Johnson. And again, the Steelers have receivers and that's one of those things that people kind of, it gets lost in the wash because the passing game has struggled, but y'all, you guys have good, good receivers and Najee Harris is quite good. Um, I was critical of that decision when you guys drafted him, not because I thought Najee Harris was bad, but because I didn't think he would be able to do enough to kind of lift all the other issues on offense. And as of now, that kind of looks like that's what's happening um, just because the problems up front and then the problems with Ben, but this Steelers offense does have pieces. Oh, they have pieces. All right. Um, Deontay Johnson is their wide receiver one at this point. He is, um, he gets fed the most, there is no cornerback I have seen yet that has been able to guard that man. Jair got burnt last week. He's burned Trey White. He's burnt William Jackson the third before when they played against the Bengals. He's burned Marlon Humphrey. He's burned everybody he's ever faced. Deontay Johnson is a massive piece of this offense. And you saw against Cincinnati when they didn't have him, it was a huge blow because teams are sliding over to him. And that's the surprising thing. Last year they were sliding over to Claypool. Yep. Now it's to Deontay Johnson because they know Deontay Johnson's the best separator of this group. I'm, you know, he has AB-esque qualities to him in terms of the on-field play. The the subtle push off off the top of his routes that's never going to get called for OPI. Mm-hmm. Got it. He's got it. That's how he made the touchdown last week against Jair Alexander. He's great at doing that. He's got great feet. He's great after the catch. He's a very good football player. He's a weapon. You talked about Chase Claypool. You know what he can do. Mm-hmm. Massive catch radius. That's the thing with Claypool and what makes him so dangerous is even with Ben, he can bail you out because he's got a huge catch radius. We'll talk about this, but I don't – Chase Claypool would be so good if he could fix his catch technique because the contest, the contested catch stuff was supposed to be a signature ability. It has not been in the NFL. The reason is his catch technique is a mess. Gotcha. Huge mess. He so he was body catching last year. He's not body catching as much this year, but his hands are his hands are separating, allowing corners backs into his frame. He needs to fix it. He's a much better, honestly, for his size, he's much better at yak than I thought he would be. He's yeah, much improved same. there. Um, Juju, Juju is still good. Um, physical guy. He's a slot player, obviously. He's not going to separate a ton, but he doesn't need to be because he can just either one, he can out physical you at the catch point and catch those balls. He's subtle enough to where on double moves, he's really dangerous vertically. Um, you saw that last week. Obviously, Ben missed him. 
Um, he's also good after yak. He's a really he's that tough gritty type of yak where he's not going to break a big play. But if it's third and two, you could throw a quick bubble screen to him. He'll probably break a tackle or two and get those yards. Um, and then behind him, I mean, James Washington's a solid player as well. Um, so he he had a good game last week. So you look at that. Ray Ray McLeod can be a gadget weapon that can get involved in the run game. Najee Harris, as you talked about, Najee Harris has struggled a little bit, I think, actually. You know, not in the way that I thought he would. Um, missing some holes in the run game. We'll talk about the Steelers' run game a little bit more. Um, missing some holes there, not being green pass pro, but as a pure playmaker, like in space, as a receiver, exceedingly dangerous. And he was much better with his vision last week. I think he start the game's starting to slow down for him. That's kind of the only thing he needed to do. And then, I mean, we didn't even talk about the tight ends. Fryermuth catches everything, literally everything. And for all of his inconsistencies, Eric Ebron can still stretch the football field. So this is a talented group of weapons. Um, and if they get Anthony McFarlane back too, now you have a scat back with speed. Um, so it's a talented group of weapons. The issue is, can the quarterback take advantage of those weapons? <laughs> That's essentially the issue here. And in Again, for listeners, you guys might not be aware of this, but Pittsburgh actually fired their longtime offensive coordinator last year and promoted Matt Canada to be the OC. And I and again, Nick, this is like one of those things I remember all offseason you were talking about what Canada was going to bring. Um, more motion, more play action. Kind of like Shanahan-esque in terms of like philosophically, it seemed like they were going to kind of start to veer towards more of that in an effort to kind of Lessen the load for Roethlisberger was my understanding is kind of like what the thought was is kind of make his job easier. Um, and it looks like a lot of that hasn't happened a lot yet. Um, do you think that is more of a reflection of like the struggles Roethlisberger has with play action? Cause historically dating back to like, I, I want to say that since they started charting it, the Steelers have been at the bottom of the league in terms of play action usage for a long, long time. Well, they've been at the bottom of the play action usage because he's not good at it. Yeah. That's why. He's just he's one of the rare quarterbacks that gets worse by doing play action. He cannot here's the thing with Ben. He was all he was never I feel like he was never this cerebral quarterback that, you know, could decipher decipher defenses like he was like that. He was so mobile and so good outside of structure, it never mattered. Or he had A B and his ball placement was so good, it never mattered. You know, it it just didn't matter. He could predetermine his read, and he knew he could get away with it because he had that arm talent, and he had a freaking Hall of Fame receiver to throw to. Mm-hmm. So you didn't need to worry about it, or you could dump it off to your all-pro running back. <laughs> so what? What? What's the issue, Ben? And and what he kind of has to do with this Canada offense is he has to learn to live with motion, learn to live with play action. He hate. He never was one that really attacked the middle of the field a ton. Mm-hmm. Really, ever since Heath Miller retired, or, and and then it, one, it really decreased once AB left, um, you kind of never saw that happen much. So here's the thing: there are concepts there that they run off a of play action, and Ben doesn't execute them because he's bad at play action. The motion, I don't think he likes it. I he we haven't seen Matt Canada's offense because Ben can't execute Matt Canada's offense. That's the simple point. Um, I, I don't think Ben's good at that stuff. So the stuff that's designed to take a load off him actually puts more on him. He doesn't look comfortable running that stuff. You know, moving the pocket to, to lessen the load on the offensive line, it doesn't work. Ben can't move, or Ben doesn't feel comfortable throwing on the run anymore. So you have to run a lot of the Arians, Haley, Feetner stuff because it's the only thing Ben feels comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things, too, where – 
when the Bronco, like when, when the Steelers, if they do roll with play action with Ben under center or with under center, I kind of wonder how much they're going to try and disguise and spin the safeties specifically during that because Ben already doesn't really like having to turn his back to the defense, come back to like then diagnose. So changing up the post snap look while his back is turned only makes it harder and kind of gives the rush more time to get to him. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if Canada, if Ben's playing, if there's even less play action than you guys have kind of used through the first four games. Well, they added Matt Canada. And if you know anything about Matt Canada, guru of motion, Andy Reid stole stuff from him. McVay and Shanahan have riffed off him before. Basically, every great offensive mind in the NFL has taken things from Matt Canada because Matt Canada was his innovator of motion. They added Matt Canada. They have, they've used 10% less motion than they did yeah. last year. It's... I mean, that doesn't make sense. No. Because this isn't – here's the thing. You see Matt Cannon, you expect the type of offense. This isn't Matt Cannon's offense. It's this, it's not. This is Roethlisberger's offense. It's Roethlisberger's offense. So, and that's the thing. You well, and that to me is the one reason why – because, again, like Mason Rudolph is probably not going to be like a starting franchise-type quarterback at some point. But given the struggles that Roethlisberger's had – Combined with the fact that we haven't seen Rudolph outside the preseason in the Canada offense, that's one of those aspects to this matchup to me that kind of makes it a little bit scary if Roethlisberger doesn't play, just because you could have Rudolph basically coming in cold where you don't have any real film on him in this offense outside of preseason stuff, and all of a sudden it could be completely different than what they prepped for. It could be. They could go full Matt Canada in that area. If they're shifting three guys before the line of scrimmage with Mason Rudolph in, I'm not sure that the Broncos are going to know what they're what they're watching because it's going to be a completely different offense. And that's the thing. I think that, you know, Matt Canada and Ben are trying to find a compromise with each other of what yeah. they run. I just think – I don't think they're seeing eye to eye. I don't think that Ben is comfortable executing Canada's concepts. All you have to look at is the fourth down sequence um, mm-hmm. to understand that. The infamous dump off to Najee in the flat. Um that's not a Canada problem. That's a Ben problem because Ben is getting fooled by feigning the blitzes and then dumping it off thinking he's getting man coverage in a one-on-one with a cornerback on the outside when he's actually getting eight dropping in a three-man rush and he misses Pat Fryermuth wide open on a spacing concept to the left side. That's essentially what he's getting. And he got got by it twice. Got got by it against the Packers and then against the Bengals. So stuff like that, Absolutely can can really mess up the offense. I I just when when you look at Ben and you look at what he has to do now he's not going to fix his mobility. Yep. His arm even his arm is adequate enough to make throws, but I don't think he's confident in it enough. Like, That's like I've seen him make some throws that if his arm was completely pop gun dead, like if it was a Peyton Manning pop gun arm like his last year, he wouldn't make that throw. Like I was like, like the 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 post route to James Washington last week. Like he's not going to make that throw if his arm's completely dead. It's not what it was. But well, I mean, there's there's something there. You know what I mean? I mean, there's something. no. I agree. And to to your point, that is what I think is actually giving him a lot of issues. Is that his arm has declined? It's not Peyton Manning's. Peyton Manning's arm was shot. Um, but like, what's happening? I think with Ben is. He doesn't have the same trust in his arm. He doesn't necessarily know how much to put on the ball to get it where he wants it to go. And there's times where it almost seems like he he has like, and again, not 
it's showing up in the instances I've seen. And I haven't seen enough tape to like really say definitively, this is what's happening. But it seems like when he, when he'll see a receiver flash open and old Ben, it was like, yeah, it's coming out. Like he's going to get there. And there's times where he pauses and he's like, can I make that throw? And and then there's times he'll come off of it because he doesn't trust it. Um, and then there's times where he, he throws it and it's off. And that's why I think is that he doesn't necessarily know what to put on it. I think that's the thing he can like, he can uncork a deep ball still. The yep. issue is it's never on target. Um, he's made a few really good throws deep this year. Um, I think there was the Deontay Johnson touchdown last week was a great throw by Ben. Um, he's had a few really nice throws um, against the Raiders. He had a few really good throws down the sideline against the bills down the stretch. You know, Ben really helped them in that game. He made a few really key throws in that game in the second half when they were up trying to close the door on a key third down. He made a beautiful throw on a on a flat route to Chase Claypool, put it right over the defender. Here's the thing. When you go through arm surgery and you have to rework everything, he had a whole new motion. He has to do a, an entire new thing with his lower body. Everything had to be reworked. When you have done the same thing for 20 21 years dating back to college and you don't have the same arm anymore, but you have a whole new arm angle, a new arm slot you're throwing from entirely new mechanics. Yeah. It's going to be different. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing. And that's the thing, you know, Ben's 39. I don't know when he would figure that out by when he would figure out, well, here's the touch I put on things so they can be accurate. Here's what I do with my lower body. He talked today to the media, said, I'm dropping my elbow too much. I never drop my elbow. Why am I dropping my elbow? I had elbow surgery. I don't like mm-hmm. it's new lower body mechanics. He said, I, I have to make those more in sync every because his lower, you have to understand his lower body mechanics are in sync with what his previous motion was, not with what this motion is. So everything's out of sync. Everything's in haywire. So when he's generating power from his lower body and he's putting it through his arm, they're not in the same, they're not really in the same ways they should be. It's kind of all this. And then he's dropping his elbow because when the elbow's supposed to be coming through up, it's down. It's, it's a, it's a beat late. Everything's a beat late. And that's the thing with Ben is, you know, maybe if a team was confident enough to give him like, he really wanted to play two or three more years to figure like everything out. And that arm didn't decline at all, which is also a bet that I'm not willing to bet on. Um, like he might actually be able to have like this renaissance season, but it's just, he's a 17 year vet. He gets banged up. He's got arthritic knees. You're not going to live with that quarterback for that long. No. And Ben, and, and Ben's that guy, man. I mean, I don't think he trusts his arm. I also don't think he trusts his offensive line. Um, I'll say that. I don't think he trusts his own line at all. So he's, he's getting happy footed too, on top of all of that. What matchups, and I know that like the offensive line situation is like pretty fluid. Um, but knowing kind of like who who could potentially play along each spot, um, in terms of upfront, what spots are you most kind of worried about? Because I would say that in terms of like the Broncos' edge rush and pass rush, obviously Von Miller, uh, Draymond Jones and Shelby Harris are both like they're not creating a lot of sacks, but they're both creating some wins for sure. Malik Reed to me, uh, and again, I'm not trying to hate on these guys, I but. Malik Reed is a guy who mostly wins on stunts. Um, that's the kind of games, kind of as a penetrator, as a looper, like he'll, he'll create wins that way. Um, but he's not necessarily going to win a lot by himself. 
Um, but the Broncos have been using Alexander Johnson more as a blitzer to try and like kind of add to that rush. And I could definitely see them doing that this week if they if Fangio kind of smells blood in the water. Um, what matchups are you kind of worried about? I guess. Well, it depends on who plays. Um, yeah, because it looks like everyone's playing, and we don't know what that means. Um, so let's just throw it back to training camp real quick. Yeah, the starting line right tackle was Banner, Turner. Green, then you had Dotson, and then you had a core four. Okay. Is Dotson gonna play? I don't know. Yeah. If he doesn't play, it's probably BJ Finney, probably. Okay. It's probably who you're getting. Um, unless they're gonna do what they want to do and kick one of the guards inside, that's possible as well. Maybe kick Joe Hagan side um from tackle. Um, he was solid last week, to my surprise. Um that was something they're not going to kick Banner inside at all. Um, he doesn't have positional versatility. But my guess would be if Banner's ready to go, what you're going to see is Banner at right tackle. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see Turner at right guard. Mm-hmm. Green at center. I think you're going to see, let's just assume everyone's healthy, Dotson at left guard. I think the left tackle is going to be Dan Moore. Okay. I do. I don't, I, I, listen, I think he's a young guy that they like. Yep, and they'd rather ride it out with the fourth round rookie with his highs and lows, rather than starting a core four who's been mediocre for a whole year. They know yeah. who Chuk's a core four is. Yep. They don't really know who Dan Moore is. He's had his struggles. He's had his good games, and so I would expect Dan Moore to play. And that's in which an, case, that's an issue. Dan and, Moore against Vaughn Miller is terrifying. And that's Absolutely what I terrifying. I would think that if Dan Moore is playing at left tackle, based on what I've seen, that they'll probably try and move on around a lot more. They've been doing that since Chubb like was completely like early in the season. They were keeping Reed on one side, keeping Vaughn on the other side. Since Chubb came out against the Jet, uh, and then ended up landing on IR, they've been moving M- Miller back and forth quite a bit more to try and kind of take advantage of matchups. Because I I also think that Fangio knows that Reed is not going to win by himself often. And so Miller is kind of the pass rush and that's what makes, and it's a way to kind of exploit the slide because all of a sudden Miller's not where you expect him to. You have to actually change where your slide's going to try and account for him. Um, or you have to send help that way more often. And people do do that. And I expect the Steelers to as well. The Ravens did. And basically each game this year, they, the Broncos have seen it. I'm curious, I guess, like how you feel about the inside. Um, just because the Broncos interior rush, a lot of fans are kind of getting antsy because I have been riding high on the Draymond Jones wagon since last year. He has not notched a lot of sacks. I'm still quite high on him. I'm not, I don't like, I'm not getting caught up in that. Do you think that the interior will be able to hold up to, to, cause again, both both Shelby Harris and Draymond are like 290 ish. Three techniques is essentially what they do. And they'll, they'll rotate in, you know, they'll rotate in Mike Purcell, they'll rotate in Shamar Steven, they'll rotate in heavier bodies. But what they really want to do is they want to have those two around to really, they'll run games. They'll try and get you off the snap. Draymond's burst is really good. Um, good with his hands. Um, but we just haven't seen that translate to sacks yet. Well, the interior is of the Steelers line. It's very interesting. Um, a lot of Jekyll and Hyde stuff. D- Dotson has been bad this year. Very surprisingly bad. Um, I don't know why. 
everything. It feels like okay. I'll say this: he's placed. He's placed beside two rookies. Yeah, it feels like he's trying to overcompensate for having two rookies next to him. And he finally just decided to focus on whoever was in front of him last week, and he has best game of the season by far. So maybe Ke- if Kevin Dotson plays, I think he's back. Um, Trey Turner is Trey Turner. Limited mobility wise, can still knock your head in. Um, if you put him in a phone booth, watch out. That's what I will say. You're probably not gonna overpower Trey Turner too much. Um, he's pretty steady. He's I wouldn't call him solid. I'd call him average. But you can the, the way you beat Trey Turner is by getting under his pads and, and just out leveraging him because he plays high. Kendrick Green, well that guy right now looks like a rookie center. Um, okay, he's on his butt a lot, a lot. I know he's how small. that is. Yeah, he's he's small. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of length. But, and the, the very encouraging thing was, you know, DJ Reader took it took his lunch. Solomon Thomas took his lunch. But when he's faced Ed Oliver, for example, he's held up. When he faced Kenny Clark, Kenny Clark got stuff against him sometimes. He actually played well against Kenny Clark. Um, it, his anchor is inconsistent, to say the least, but he lost slowly last week, and that's all that really mattered. If he could have, if, if you can lose slowly at center... It's okay. He's obviously very athletic, and he's starting to figure out kind of how to use his athleticism to get out in space and and kind of work that out on in the run game. He's a he's a work in progress. I don't know what Kendrick Green's going to show up. If bad Kendrick Green shows up, he's a mismatch. If good Kendrick Green shows up, he can actually hold up. So it's a question of will they hold up? If Finney plays, essentially the uh, the replacement level on every standard you can imagine so he's exploitable but he probably won't mess up too much so that's kind of the thing the interior of the line for the Steelers has been uninspiring but okay that's what I'll say in that that is those issues with the offensive line is that what you would attribute most to kind of like the problems running the ball yeah I mean granted they put their best performance running the football just up last week yep and they finally got push against Green Bay and the question is now, it's a young O-line. It's an O-line starting to gel together. And if they get Zach Banner back, they get their best run blocker back, period. Now does that open up the run game here? And I know, you know, the, the Broncos kind of sold out for the run last week. Yeah, they did. Um, and it hurt them. Um, yeah. and, and again, this is one of those other things that a lot – I, I got to get on a soapbox for just a second. A lot of people got really mad about coaching in the Ravens game. I get it. Cause on some level I agree with some of it. I McMahon and we'll get to special teams in a second, but McMahon is a dead. He should have been fired two years ago. Like the fact that he's still a coach is insane to me, but Pat Shermer, I thought got out coached. Um, it's not like a fireable thing. Wink Martindale is a pretty good coordinator. Um, but I definitely do think that Pat Shermer got out coached a bit. As far as Fangio goes, I don't really have a problem with what Fangio decided to do. I don't know necessarily think I agree with what he decided on based on the fact that Lamar Jackson was hurt going into the game, but I get it. The Ravens are at their best running the ball, so it makes sense to make Lamar win from the pocket. It just so happens he did. Um, and then the offense and the special teams let you down as well. So it looked really bad in part because no one else was helping the defense. But that's kind of where I land on it. Um, but I do think that this Broncos run defense, even when they're not selling out against the run, so far, they've been quite good. Um, granted, like they're they're they've lost enough pieces that it could fall apart at some point. Um, but I, I've been pretty impressed with Justin Cernod. Um, this is gonna be his third start. 
Against the Ravens, he looked pretty good. Against the Jets, he looked really good. Um, Alexander Johnson is probably what I would... I'd consider Alexander Johnson an elite run defender. Um, I think he's average-ish in coverage in terms of like his actual ability. Scheme helps him. Um, the defensive line, when Mike Purcell's in, and he probably won't be very often because you guys run a lot of 11. Uh, but when Mike Purcell's in, in base personnel, like one of the... One of the better nose tackles, I would say probably in the upper half of the league. Um, and he can beat zones, zone schemes because he's quick. Um, but both Draymond and Shelby, they can be double teamed and pushed off the ball, but they do a good job of holding up um, and neutralizing single blocks for sure. Yeah. And that, like, that's the, that's the point, right? They just yeah. still haven't been able to run the football well, but they finally got some success last week. Yes. They and have. they're getting stronger. And now she's starting to find the holes. So. Even it, the question is, is that going to continue for the Steelers? Because the Packers, I'm not going to say the Packers are a great run defense, but there's talent there. I mean, yep. Ken Clark is a really good football player. Preston Smith, really good. Rashawn Gary's come in nicely. Uh, I mean, they have pieces there that would say they should be a decent run defense. And the Steelers ran well on them. They just couldn't run the ball well because they got behind and Ben had to throw the football, right? So the question is, if, if the Steelers can actually get a run game going and Najee has a, a good game on the ground finally and can take some, whether that's off of Ben or Mason, that's going to be the turning point for the, the Steelers offense straight up. Because if you have to respect Najee and load the box, especially against Ben, then you give Ben his one-on-one opportunities. Yep. And that's when Ben can, even at his old age and, how washed he is, Ben can kill you if you give him one-on-ones where he wants them optimally. Well, and if you can run the football, you can dictate how they're going to fit you, and you can dictate what coverages you're going to see. And then Ben can predetermine his read, and Ben can might Ben might be able to dice you up if he can throw the ball accurately. And that, to me, I'm I'm curious about what Fangio is going to kind of go into this game trying to do. But to me, like I look at the the receiving talent that you guys have. And I would say that it makes more sense to kind of take the issues that you're going to have stopping the run out of too high and just play too high and make you guys win kind of tiny cuts at a time all the way down the field instead of giving the opportunities for big plays on a busted coverage, especially if you're not sure who's starting at that other boundary corner yet. Well, I think that would be the smart decision. Force them to go 15 plays in 85 yards. Yeah. That's the thing. You force Ben to make the routine throws because he sh- he hasn't. Force him to make the right reads. Uh, force force the receivers to make the yak happen. Um, that's the thing. That the one thing you don't want to do from too high though is you don't want to sell out so much. And I, I will say this: you don't want to sell out so much that Najee Harris just runs all yeah. over you. Oh, definitely I mean, not. And and that's the I think that's the worst case scenario for the Broncos here is that the Steelers build off of something that they did last week and they start to run the football well. And Najee Harris has maybe his best game as a pro on the ground. And if they can dictate that, as I said, I think that that's the Steelers best case scenario, but I don't know if Ben can hit a cover two whole shot on the boundary anymore. So they're going to have to figure out, you know, how to attack the middle of the field a little bit. Then you obviously have to worry about Justin Simmons, but I think I would rather worry about Justin Simmons than throw a cover two hole shot with Ben. That's all I'm saying. Um, I would rather try Pat Fryermuth over the middle of the field. I think Fryermuth might be an X factor in this game. 
I think he matches up well against the the Broncos. And Ben has a has a 132.4 QB rating when targeting him this year. That's the highest of yeah. any receiver on the team. I do wonder if Pat Frymuth gets involved a lot this week. If he does, I think Pat Frymuth might be the X factor for the Steelers offensively. So I kind of have to pivot. We just touched on McMahon. Um, again, this is a sore subject for Broncos fans. But at this point, uh, and again, the Broncos have played four games. The Broncos have allowed 102-yard touchdown return. Um, they have had a kick partially blocked by the Jets. Last week, Devin DuVernay uh, ran, I want to say it was like 40-ish yards. I don't have the number right in front of me. But coverage units have been bad. Um, the blocking on punt has been shaky. Um, there's been, I mentioned the Jets, but there's been a couple other times where it was pretty close to a block. Um, the Broncos, as of right now, by Football Outsiders DVOA rankings, the, the Broncos rank as the 29th ranked special teams in the league, um, which is pretty much on par for what's happened since McMahon's been on the, been the coach. Um, basically, since 2008, the Broncos have been one of the six or seven worst special teams units in football every single year. Um, is that a mismatch that you think the Steelers could exploit? Well, yes. Um, for one, for a few reasons. Look at Ray Ray McLeod's stats as a returner. Third best kick returner, third best punt returner. There's a chance there that he breaks one. Yep. He broke a 40-yarder last week. He was close to breaking a big one. I think if there's a game that I could circle would say, this is when Ray Ray McLeod gets a big touchdown, this could be it. He's a dangerous returner. He's clearly one of the best returners in the NFL just by the, the return stats. So that's something. But just look at what the Steelers have done on special teams. I mean, the blocked punt against the Bills quite literally maybe won them the game. And they got robbed last week on a field goal block. That should have been another touchdown. They've shown that they have splash on special teams. And if the if the protection units are suspect, absolutely. That's a mismatch for the Steelers in every way. They, they love that. Because if that's that, listen, that's also a, a nightmare scenario for the Broncos. Don't force the the uh, the Steelers' offense to score. The Steelers' special teams might break a big one. If the Steelers' yeah. special teams can break a big touchdown, if Ray Ray McLeod gets a touchdown, or if they block a, a punt for a touchdown, they block a field goal kick for a touchdown. I'd bet the Steelers win that game pretty much almost every time. That's my my bet. So this third phase here, it's huge because I think this is maybe the area the Steelers have to capitalize on the most. Yep. That's my fear. Kind of, kind of. So I have two more things I want to bug you about. I know I'm keeping you a long time, but I apologize. Last, like the last one on this game specifically, how do you like, like the Broncos win if dot, dot, dot. And then I'm going to ask you the Steelers part of it, but the Broncos win. How, like, how do you see that? Well, I, I think the Broncos win one if they can establish the ground game with Melvin Gordon if he plays and Javante Williams. So they run well over the Steelers, force the Steelers to respect the run heavily, and then you can start throwing over the top a little bit, start throwing it to Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, get other guys involved. Noah Fant certainly as well I think is going to be a part of this game plan. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Steelers, they need to make sure that that doesn't happen. Running the football I think is the number one ingredient. Also, no turnovers. Whoever's starting, Bridgewater or Locke, if those guys throw a pick, that's how you get the Steelers' offense life. You give them a short field, give them opportunities to score points. And on the defensive side, in that case, you also need to make sure that Najee Harris doesn't run the ball well, and you can force Big Ben, if he plays, into a few mistakes, right? Get a pick, 
get get a fumble, for example, get after him, make him feel you. Um, I think the biggest thing for the Broncos defensively is nothing easy. Even if you're in too high, play two man. You know, play up on them. Force Deontay Johnson to be force fed, or force Chase Claypool to go up and make a contested catch. Force them to target the middle of the field where you know Justin Simmons is hunting. Mm-hmm. Like force them to do that. Nothing needs to be easy. Make nothing easy. Play aggressive football. I and also play clean special teams. That's the number one thing that you have to do on that side. In that third phase, clean special teams, tackle the returner, make sure the protection's good. Do not give the Steelers any free points through special teams. So Steelers win if kind of all that doesn't happen. Yeah, pretty much. But they win mostly. I think there's two things offensively that need to happen. Najee Harris has at least a decent day. Mm-hmm. And two, I think you have to attack the middle of the field. I really do. I don't see them, even with the two boundary corners out, the Steelers, I don't know how much they're going to win on the boundary against cover two. I, I just don't trust Ben enough. I just don't trust him. Unless the you know the Broncos decide to go galaxy brain and go single high and give Ben the one-on-ones which some teams have done, which I just think it's stupid. I don't get going single high against the Steelers. I get you get the extra run fit, but the offensive line's not good enough to where you need that extra guy, and you should just be making the boundary throws harder for Ben. So I don't get why you would do that. So playing cover two, force Ben to make the throws, force Mason to make the throws. Can uh, if Mason Listen, if Mason Rudolph plays this game, I want to do this. If Mason Rudolph plays, here's a scenario. If Mason Rudolph plays, the Broncos will win if they pressure him, period. I think if you let Mason sit back there, he's shown the ability to make some throws over the middle of the field. Make some really nice deep throws. Go watch that Cleveland game from last year. He made some really nice throws in that game uh, to chase Claypool. Don't give him single coverage, but even against cover two, he's found the ability to split those safeties enough. So, you know, against him, pressure him, make him feel you, get him on his butt, period, and take away the running game. Mason, because, listen, I get they're kind of the same type of quarterback, Mason and Ben, and that they're immobile. They won't really move a lot. But Mason's a very different type of quarterback. For one, he doesn't predetermine his read. So you're actually going to have to account for the second progression. (laughs) Um, Third, Mason is a willing deep ball thrower, and quite frankly, he's a decent deep ball thrower. He's shown the ability to put the touch on the deep ball before. So that's the thing. You're planning for a different type of quarterback because Mason has a willingness to attack every single part of the field, and he also is willing to work with motion, and he's willing to work with play action. So you might see more Matt Canada sprinkles there. So if Mason Rudolph plays, this game goes kind of where anyone else goes. Who knows what's going to happen to Mason Rudolph? So kind of my last thing, just because, again, I know that you you cover college football as well. Um, obviously, with where Ben's at in terms of like his timeline, you guys are probably getting pretty close to where you're going to be looking for another quarterback. Is there anybody kind of coming out that you've kind of seen, like got your eyes on, that you're kind of thinking that this quarterback class might, it might be a surprise? Because the Broncos may also be looking for a quarterback. So I know our listeners are kind of, they're watching college football on Saturdays, kind of hoping for somebody. Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett? No, I'm kidding. But he, he he has been a surprise this year. But no, you want you want the real surprise that no one is paying attention to? Head over to Kalamazoo, Michigan, and check out Caleb Ellaby's tape. 
Caleb Ellaby is the most efficient quarterback in college football. He's that efficient. He he everything is so accurate with him. He throws perfect balls to all three levels of the field. He's got a gorgeous deep ball. He's got mobility to make things happen out of structure. But the thing is, he's a guy that really knows how to work in the pocket and has like great pocket movement, just a feel for it. And he doesn't run into pressure a lot. He makes really accurate throws. He's very decisive. He's a guy that he's not, you know, a blazing fast football player, but he can move as needed. Um, and he's got a solid arm. He makes great throws every week. Check out Caleb Ellaby. He's a true, he, I believe he's a uh, redshirt sophomore over there in Kalamazoo for Western Michigan. I don't know if he comes out this year, but he's such an intriguing football player. And another guy along those long, uh, lines, Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina, is a very, one of the most accurate quarterbacks I've seen in a minute. Um, he's dead on accurate to all three levels of the football field. And he's been, the thing this year is he's been able to get velocity on his balls more. So it's not just a floating duck that's going to get picked off at the NFL level. He actually is able to to really rip that thing uh, this year. So those two guys are your sleeper picks. I'm not going to talk about Willis or Corral or Howell or Rattler. I think Pickett even at this point is kind of a mainstream guy with his start to the game, to the year. So I wanted to shout out those two. I think they're pretty under the radar guys. Thank you so much. Uh, guys, again, if you do not follow Nick already, uh, go do it. I don't know why you haven't already. Uh, but he is on Twitter at Nick underscore F-A-R-A-B-A-U-G-H. Um, and, yeah, best of luck to you. I hope the Broncos kick your ass, but I hope it's a good game. Hey, man. Uh, I, let's hope that the Steelers finally get a win. Uh, two and three would feel a lot better than, than you know, one and four. Um, that's all I'll say. And knowing Mike Tomlin's teams when he's down and kicked down and no one expects them to win is exactly when Mike Tomlin pulls out the victory card. So I'm not putting anything past them. Definitely.